All right, welcome to The Time Is Now. I'm your host, Michael Stafford. This week, what's the future for NCAA sports? And is the coronavirus actually healing the world? ESPN has released their top 10 greatest NBA players of all time. Who's your GOAT? And we got a special guest, J-Max, in the house today to help discuss some of these hot topics. So sit back, relax, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, everybody, been trying to get this brother on the show since we began. Welcome to the show for the first time, J-Mac. Hey, Jim. Yeah, what's up, Mike? Welcome, welcome on to the show, man. This guy, Jim McElroy, on the line. Uh, I call him Jimmy Mac. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Just, uh, you know, surviving the quarantine and the corona uh, epidemic right now. Man, how's that been treating you so far? Um, I'm kind of a homebody anyway, so it really doesn't bother me. Um, I don't like the fact that I can't get out and go to my favorite restaurants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, man, um, it's cool, man, spending a lot of quality time with the family. Um, you know, something that I hadn't been able to do a lot because um, my job and always being uh, busy. So this has been great for that. Okay. Okay. And what what is it that you do exactly? Well, I'm a high school history teacher. Um, football coach and track coach so um, I'm pretty busy uh, year round Um, you know early mornings late nights you know um, trying to you know still be the best family man that you can when you um, wear so many hats um, at one job so you know it's just uh, it's a blessing to be able to um, work with our young kids um, our our youth in uh, uh, Los Angeles but at the same time man it, it does take a lot from your family and um, I'm ready to get back to that. And I'm glad I'm, well, I'm not glad we we're in this situation, but, you know, you get to spend more time with your family. So that's a that's the plus. OK. Yeah, man. Uh, just so many things to talk to you about, man. Um, I know you're an essential worker. They're still taking care of you and, um, you know, teaching and whatnot. But how's everything at the home front with homeschooling now and your own kids? Man, um, only thing is reinforced that I don't want to ever do elementary. Um, <laughs> lots of patience. Um, yeah. You know, young kids are because um, they're learning. And um, it's hard sometimes when you're trying to get them to learn something that, you know, and um, you got to have more patience. Um, I mean, that's one thing I lack sometimes is my patience because um, I forget what it was to learn at such a young age. I mean, I know I wasn't great at elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the hardest time in school I had. Um, I was, um, my family wise, I was ill prepared to handle a school environment. Cause um, you know, at the time when I was in elementary school, there was a lot of things going on with my family and I was just an angry little kid. So I could care less about school. I was just trying to get my life, you know, back together. But um, working with uh, younger kids, man, it's tough because it's a lot of things that, I haven't done in years and I'm trying to help them with it. And it's a little frustrating for both of us. So hats off to any elementary teacher that will hear this, man. You guys are the real heroes in education. Um, you guys teach them the, all the basic skills that we can take advantage of when they get to high school. So man, hats off to you guys. Yeah, man. I know it's too much about that adjusting my life to um, this new pandemic and the way the world is right now. You know, so 
it's 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 been it's been challenging to say the least, right? Very challenging. Yeah, man. I've been looking to get you on here for a while because um I pay attention and 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 I and I see things on on the web and whatnot, and I see the 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 banter and I see the education. Somebody who's actually done something in sports, and I want to get into that. Let, tell me more about your history in sports and your background and your love for the different games. Um, my background in sports starts off with my dad. My dad is, you know, um, he's a, a legend in our community, man. Before I was even born, he was already coaching kids and um, mentoring the, the youth of the area. So when he was, it was turn to have kids, he, you know, drug us out to the baseball field, drug us out to the basketball courts, drug us out to uh, football fields, man. He was just, um, his, his level of education wasn't very high. But his, what he can give to us was how to be competitive, how to um, use your brain in these settings of, of sports. A lot of people understand when you're learning sports, you're learning something and applying it physically, which makes it so much harder. So um, with my background with that, I mean, I started off with baseball. Um, it's the easiest thing to play when you're younger. Um, I've always been a big football fan. So when I got my opportunity to play football, I mean, it just reinforced my love for for the game, even though I had never played. I know um, when I first started playing in fourth grade, I had to make a decision. Um, they were We had the hitting drills the first time having to tackle somebody. And I ran up, I stopped my feet, and I waited for the dude to run into me, and he ran me clean over. And it was one of the worst experiences I ever had because it hurt so bad. But laying down there, when the coaches came over there, they were like, hey, man, you good? And I made my decision right there. Hey, football is for me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to learn how to do that. That'll never happen again. So um, my background with sports started at a very young age. Um, just talking to my dad yesterday, you know, he can remember, like, when I was a kid, I knew all the football teams, all the baseball teams, all the basketball teams, and I didn't even know how to read and write, but I knew those things. So he was just like, it's amazing how we had a kid who struggled in school, but he could tell you everything about sports. So they said they knew that I had – he I had some – uh intelligence i just had to apply it so from there um went to high school went to washington prep here in la um a lot of uh, athletes come out of that area um if you don't know where that's located at it's on 108th and uh, dinker in between um western and normandy is a uh, considered a bad neighborhood and a bad school but when i was there it was really good um i played football and ran track there um, in my time there, we had at least 30 D1 athletes from across all sports um, go to college. So that was very big at my school, getting out, getting athletes to the next level. Even though we didn't win a lot of championships and stuff like that, we were getting athletes out and they were going to big major universities. So when I was there, I ended up becoming um, the city champion in the 100 and 200 meters and uh, finished um, eighth in state in the 200 my senior year in 1994. Um I played football into becoming a All-American in um, high school football, the 47th ranked overall um, football player in 1994, the number three athlete nationally. Um, went to UCLA, played four years there, um, behind some legendary players, J.J. Stokes, Kevin Jordan, um, at receiver. So I had to wait my time. I didn't really shine until my senior year, um, where I ended up being the second team All-Pac-10. Um, set a couple of school records of yards per catch uh, for a career, yards per catch for a season, most kickoff return yards in, in a season. And then I broke a track record, the 55 meters, even though they don't run it no more, so nobody ever break that record again. 
Um, and we had some great Olympians that came from UCLA and I ran the fastest 55 meters um, at the school. So that's, that is a, a testament to some of my athletic ability. I got opportunity to sign with the Chicago Bears as a free agent, made it to the last cuts, then went overseas, played at NFL Europe for half a season. Um, couldn't really enjoy it because I was hurt most of the time. I had a high ankle sprain. And any athlete knows about a high ankle sprain. That is like a death sentence. Um, when a doctor tell you it would be better that you broke your leg instead of uh, spraining your ankle uh, with a high ankle sprain, that, that says a lot about that. Um, finished off my pro opportunity in San Francisco when they had Jerry Rice and uh, Terrell Owens. And um, I just wasn't going to make that team. And that's when I knew it was all over with. And um, since then, I've been coaching. Uh, I started my coaching career 2003 at Crossroads High School in um, Santa Monica. Or let me not say high school. It's Crossroads School because it's K-12. through And I coached track there, had a very good girls track program where they were um, – they made um, Southern Section uh, championships in the 4x1 and 4x4 relay. Ended up having a section champion in the 400. Um, she ended up going to Pitt, running the 800. Had another section champion in the hurdles. He ended up going to SMU, but he didn't run. And then um, after that, I came back to my community, worked at my high school, coached track and football there. Then I've just been moving, bouncing around, coaching track, football, girls basketball, uh, girls softball, and just being an assistant athletic director. So I've, I've done a lot in my sports background. I've been able to, I've been fortunate and blessed to win some championships. Um, I won an, uh, a bunch of league championships at Diego Rivera in uh, track and field. And then I was able to move on to Gardena High School, where just recently we made it all the way to the state championship game. We came up short, so I led a football team to state runner-up status. So, I mean, I, I've, I've been blessed in, in sports. So that's my sports background. Okay. Yeah, I know with that, with all that information and all that memorization, <laughs> of, of all these stats and whatnot that um, you, you tend to really have some strong points and views um, when it comes to different things in sports. Notably, one of the things that um, I can recall is the GOAT status, the NBA GOAT status. Um, we've had conversations about it. I've seen you have conversations with a lot of other people about it. Um, with all these things going on, the lack of sports today and with these different things on television, with the last dance, which we will get into that. But who is your overall quote unquote goat? And for those who don't know, um, the goat means greatest of all time. So you're taking all the eras and you're looking at who's the best in each area, then who is the ultimate number one overall. So, uh, Jimmy Mack, who is your goat? All right. So I'm going to disqualify myself for a second, but for the argument's sake. So I don't never believe that there's a one great player of all time. It's just way too much information, way too many things. And being a coach and being around a game so much, I can know how one player can be um, made to look like they're really great. And then when you put them in a situation where they have to prove that they're great, they're not really that guy. So I, I've seen that. But when you can hide it, hide their weaknesses and their flaws, they look really, really great. And some people have gotten that. Some people are great through volume. Um, just that they got more opportunity than anybody else. So they racked up a lot of stats and they done a lot of stuff. So um, I kind of disqualify myself because it's kind of hard to narrow it down, but I do have a goal for argument's sake. And there's three guys that I've seen and I've seen them play the ba the game of basketball just so much better than everybody else that if I had to choose, it would be them. 
I'm going to start off with the guy that I hated the most as a kid growing up, Larry Bird. Um, watching Larry Bird, there's nothing special about him when you see him. Um, he's slow. He don't jump that high, but he's still 6'9". And um, he had a handle. He had a great shot. And he had a great basketball IQ. And at the height of his game, when he won three MVPs in a row in the greatest decade of NBA basketball, to me that that shines a lot because you, he had his contemporaries, Dr. J, Moses Malone, who had won three MVPs previously in four years, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his, his biggest rival, Magic Johnson. He was winning MVPs over these guys, being a guy who was limited athletically but just a great basketball player. Um, the next guy is a, uh, is a legend in L.A. Um, the, you can't go anywhere usually without bumping into this guy, Magic Johnson. Um, he's a guy who can play all five positions at an all-star level. Who can do that? I mean, I know they say uh, right now there's a positionless basketball where anybody can play any position. But Magic was the first person to ever do that, where he didn't really have a solid position. The early part of his career, he played with another point guard, Norm Nixon, so he had to play the two guard or he had to play small forward. He, he played center as a backup. He played power forward. I mean, and then as a rookie, to go into the closeout game to go 42, 15, and 7 mm. at center. I mean, it, it speaks values and against the quality of the opponent that he had to face. The, the 76ers were no joke at that time. So and let me let me interject right yeah. there because um, the reason why he was able to achieve that is because the best player in that series, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, went down with an injury. Yes. So Magic said, don't worry, Cap. I got you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, as a rookie, as a rookie. Yeah. And that, that speaks volumes, you know, I mean, for somebody to do that, you know, at the at the time you take over for one game and I get it. It's just one game. The greatest player in that series and one of the considered one of the greatest players ever, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, went down and wasn't a physically able to do it. And you took a took his place. Not only did you replace him, you rolled to the occasion of greatness at that moment. So magic, you know, when, without a doubt the greatest point guard to ever play the game. So even though he was he was able to play other positions, he ended up sticking it out at point guard and became the greatest to ever do it. And in 12 seasons, led his team to the finals nine times. So, I mean, that's that's amazing. That's called winning. And never missed the playoffs, never had a losing season. And the last guy, I mean, I watched the end of his career when he was not fully in his prime, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he was still dominant. And he had to, to battle the young dogs, uh, Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson, Patrick Ewing. Uh, he had legendary battles with another Hall of Famer, Robert Parrish. And throughout the um, 70s, when he was at his best, when I was just, you know, I was born in the late 70s, at 76. So before I had, even was born, he had already won MVPs, had already won a championship, had already shown his dominance over a decade where there was a tons of parody. Um, I was telling one of my boys, that um, the 70s had to be the toughest decade to win it. They had eight champions in 10 years in the 70s. So you have to bring it because any year somebody can come out. Only two teams won two two titles in the 70s. That was the Knicks and the Celtics. Everybody else was just true. You show up to the playoffs, it was going to be, you know, a rough house. And in that era, Kareem dominated that era. So he dominated the, the era with the most parity. So – and then came in the 80s, dominated the early 80s, and still was great going along and uh, very serviceable as he got up in age, nearly 40 years old, and he was 
winning uh, finals MVP. So those are the three guys that I've seen play basketball great. And I know a lot of people be like, oh, that's blasphemy. What about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan's a great player. But once again, the, um, a lot of volume in what he did. Um, and I get it. He didn't always have great teammates when he first started. But then in the decade where he dominated, his team was by far had every advantage that people say Magic had, that people say Kareem had. But if Magic and Kareem don't have those in Bird, if they don't have those advantages, how are they going to beat these other great teams? They had to have other great teammates. Michael Jordan was the only player in the 90s that had great teammates, great coaching, which we'll probably talk about later, how, how important coaching is to a team's success and to a player's success. And um, nobody else had that. So those are my, those are my goals. Those are, so you have a kind of a Mount Rushmore, if you will, of goats. <laughs> yeah, I have a Mount Rushmore of goats. Okay. And then um, I also remember they were doing this NBA top 10. So basically off your goats, I'm guessing those are your top three, which none of them include Michael Jordan, which is pretty that, – that's going to be raising some eyebrows to the listeners. But um, with that being said, who are your top 10? I believe you sent it to me, but if you can just – Reiterate it. That'd be great. Or do you have it uh, available? Or? Yeah, of course I have it available. Um, so for my top ten, without those, with those three, they're one A, one B, one C. Then I go to Bill Russell. Um, sometimes the goat ain't just what you do on the court. Even though Bill Russell was excellent on the court, on the court, that what he did did off the court for civil rights and the movement uh, and advancement of colored people in his in his uh, country, playing in a city that was filled with racism in Boston. Uh, where they vandalized his house and did things like that, and able to keep his composure to win 11 championships in 13 years, two of them as player coach, you can't overlook that. And I get people always go, well, he played in the week 60s, wasn't a lot of black players and stuff like that. Man, without that man dominating the way he did, a lot of black players don't get their opportunity. So his impact on the game is way more than what people want to say it is. And then one time in the finals, the man had 40 rebounds and 30 points in game seven to win the game, you know? So I don't, I don't know what type of, what, what more do you need out of, a, out of a player? And he did that while battling against Wilt Chamberlain, who um, was a, a very dominant scorer and rebounder and stuff of that era. And then after that is Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain is uh, number five. I, I think Wilt Chamberlain is a better version of Shaq because he did so much dominating, but it never always led to ultimate team success. But you can't knock the individual talents that Walt Chamberlain had. He was a, a multi-sport star. He was a, uh, in college. He was a guy who can dominate on offense and defense. Um, in an era where, yeah, he was kind of the big dog, but also you got to remember in that era, the most talented players were centers. In his career, he played against probably more Hall of Fame centers than anybody else. He had to battle Bill Russell. He had to battle young Willis Reed. He had to battle young Kareem, uh, Wes Unsled, um, uh, Walt Bellamy. He had to battle so many guys who, as throughout his uh, career, and he still was very dominant of a player. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you can't knock uh, Wilt Chamberlain on that. Um, next um, is LeBron. Um I know people hate LeBron, and I don't understand why they hate LeBron. I know at one point when he was in Cleveland, his first stint in Cleveland and then in uh, Miami, I, I didn't like him. But I, I 
sat down and understood why I don't like this, this this man because he was so great at what he was doing that it made me have to think about the guys that I thought were the greatest that I would ever see. Um, he makes me think like, dang, there's somebody out there that's just as great as him or just as great as those guys were. I mean, he's an all-around player. He's a facilitator. He can score. I mean, the guy averages 27 points per game for his career, and he's not a shoot-first player. He can rebound. He can defend. And he in, in this era, he's the most dominant player in this era. And I know a lot of people be like, oh, this era is soft and stuff like that. Can't help play what era that you play in, but at the same time, he dominates so bad. I know tonight when um, we were watching Last Dance, Michael Jordan always talks about how tired he was in games and how it was so mentally fatiguing and physically fatiguing. I remember a couple of years ago, LeBron played the whole game and never came out in a game seven um, against Boston to get to the, the, the championship game, to get to the final, and they won, and he played every minute of the game. So, I mean, I, I see the hypersensualization of of sports, but LeBron is a really good player, and I don't I don't understand the hate behind him. Um, behind LeBron is of uh, Michael Jordan, and I know a lot of people really hate it, um, but Michael Jordan, I think, has um, he made us view athletes in a different way because he became a brand. He was the first brand, like as a player. He even today, when he hasn't played in nearly twenty years, you put on a, a pair of Jordans is like a status symbol. You just to say that Michael Jordan's my favorite player, or I think he's the GOAT, I think it gives people a sense of pride saying that I cheer for the greatest person that everybody thinks is. And I just think that at the time he captured everybody's imagination because he did a lot that was street ball like. I mean, I know a lot of people thought Magic did a lot of street ball stuff with his passing and all the fancy stuff, but Jordan was that guy that you've seen at the playground dunking on people and talking trash and chewing a gum and long shorts and all that stuff. He was that guy. So I think he was part of that rebellious movement of the nineties. You got to understand in the nineties culturally for black people, we were really starting to get our voices heard and we had a whole different thing where hip hop had became a thing and not saying that Michael Jordan is this hip hop icon, but he kind of fit the times of, Oh man, he's going against the grain on all of this stuff. So I think that's why people love him so much. He was what we embodied our blackness into it's the same way like how we do with music like with hip-hop like when gangster rap came out in the west coast we fell in love with it because it was what we saw and we thought it was our voice but as you get older and you start adding context to it you start understanding like man that's why i was so in love with michael jordan i in the 90s i was a, a a jordan fan because i figured this black man who was dominating something was just the greatest thing ever and then I started hearing stories later on about his personality, and that was just something that I couldn't get behind. But I still have to think back and compare. I don't think he's better than any of the guys that I put in front of him. Uh, behind Jordan is Oscar Robertson. I mean, uh, the big O was a guy who did it all. He was the first person to average a triple-double um, in his career. And um, that's, I mean, triple-double for a season in his career. And um, that is just... Um, absolutely amazing that you have a guy that um that can do that and um it's just um it's really crazy that he doesn't get the respect that um he deserves um after that oh no actually i didn't break oscar robertson higher than what i'm thinking moses malone who is very underrated um uh, moses malone won like i said in the early 80s won three 
MVPs in four years. So Moses Malone is a really great player, um, very underrated, one of the first successful people to come straight out of high school into college, and he played the the he was the first, yeah, and he if I remember correctly, yeah, he 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 played the premier position in the NBA, going against a bunch of greats, and I'm and he led a Houston Rockets team that wasn't even didn't even have a winning record all the way to the NBA Finals and lost in six games to a Boston team that was filled with Hall of Famers. And he battled, and he was by far the best player in the series. So I think a lot of people um, don't give him the respect that he's deserved. I think it's mainly because he has his old-ass name, Moses Malone. <laughs> so I think people just kind of disrespect him. And then a lot of people in our generation, if you wasn't really playing, paying attention to sports in the early 80s and you caught him in the late 80s, you've seen this old man walking up and down the court. So you got a bad memory of him. And the last person on the list is Dr. J. Dr. J, as a sports icon, is so underrated. Um, in the 70s, there were two great players that people always compared. It was Kareem and Dr. J. But Dr. J played in the ABA at first, and he dominated the ABA. And then he came to the NBA. And what people don't understand is that when he got to the Sixers, he got to the Sixers 1975, I want to say. In that period, they made it to five finals. They played in seven Eastern Conference finals. He totally won, and he won like three or four MVPs, and he was totally a dominate, dominating player. But because he didn't win a bunch of those finals, people kind of underrate him. So um, Dr. J is the last person on my list. Um, very iconic player, some iconic dunks, iconic moves. Um, and a lot of players who played in the 80s, they tailored their game and their style after him. And without a doubt, one of the coolest Afros to ever done. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my 10. That's okay. my 10. That's that's your 10. That's your 10. And just as a reference, I'm going to um, jot down or highlight ESPN's top 10. Mm-hmm. And the ESPN has a completely different 10 than yours. Some similarities, but completely different. Let's start with number one. Actually, let's do it like this. Let's start with number 10. Number 10, I believe, is Shaquille O'Neal. Well, the most dominant force in the modern-day basketball. Um, just killed everything in his path for a period of time. Um, that, that era in the early 2000s was just unbeatable, but only got one MVP out mm-hmm. of it. The three finals MVPs was carried to one with D-Wade um, for his fourth and final <clears throat> championship. Then you have... Kobe at number nine, Kobe and Shaq, probably the two best players to ever play together. Um, as you look at this list, it's probably it's pretty much saying that because I don't see Jerry West on here when you have Will Chamberlain. Yeah. So um, it, that's glaring. And then you don't see Pippen on here either. So that that one-two combination is deadly. And they, they missed the opportunity to probably win seven yeah, championships easily. Um, they really did. Um, Ego's got in the way of that. And then you have they have Tim Duncan at number eight. Uh, ahead of Kobe and Shaq. That's too Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. That's too high. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, you know, we're going to get into that. They had Tim Duncan above Kobe and Shaq um, when he won five but never won back-to-back titles. And he went against Kobe and Shaq a lot. They had the best of them. Once once the team was disbanded is when he started to win a little bit more. Um, so that's something to highlight. So he also won five when Kobe won five and Shaq won four titles um then there's larry bird larry legend at seven uh, we don't need to go over his career again he's amazing we have will chamberlain at six then they have magic johnson at five he makes the top five 
And then you have Bill Russell, who they named the finals MVP trophy after for a reason, because he has the most championships yep. ever. That's something to to highlight. Um, Ori is right up there as well. But we're not going <laughs> to talk about Robert Ori right now. Ori with seven. But yeah. <laughs> so we have Bill Russell at four. Now we're in the top three. Number three is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Who loves Okay. And then we, you know, we'll get into that. And then they have LeBron James, the only player in the modern day area, the only active player on this top 10, LeBron James at number two, which means they really think he's number one because they think number one, Michael Jordan is God. So that is, uh, they pretty much saying LeBron James at number two, which to me screams of recency bias, you know, right now. Yeah, yeah. Is recency bias because the fact that you have Magic and Kareem so low, um, and then you gotta understand Tim Tim Duncan was beloved. We're gonna get into that as well. Um, to have Michael Jordan number one is to me is very lazy, easy to say, um, but I'm gonna shed light on that really quick about Michael Jordan. Now you talked about Moses Malone and Kareem and how the the era is important which is probably why Bill Russell is a little bit lower because his error was a little weaker. Even though he went against Wilt, um, the error was a little bit weaker in the 60s. So let's talk about the era. Michael Jordan came around at a time when the league was expanding because of people like Magic, Bird, Julius Irving. Those people expanded the game to where Michael Jordan came at the right time. He started to peak right when the NBA was peaking and they wanted him to be the face worldwide. Now, let's, let's talk about the, the competition because during Michael Jordan's era, we had several expansion uh-huh. teams. Charlotte, we had the Miami Heat in 88. Um, we had, I'm sorry, the Charlotte and Miami Heat. Charlotte Hornets and Miami Heat in 88. Minnesota Timberwolves and, and the Orlando Magics in 89, which three years later drafted Shaquille O'Neal because they uh-huh. were so poor. Um, and then Timberwolves got Kevin Garnett years later. Um, I believe that was 95 um, because they were so poor. Kevin Garnett was the second player right out of high school, which now opened up the floodgates to introduce Kobe and everyone else. I digress. Now we're going to two expansion teams in Canada, in Toronto and Vancouver. They later moved out later. But let's just focus on Orlando, Miami, Charlotte, and Minnesota. That's four teams during Michael Jordan's era, during the time when he peaked, because that's yeah. 88. That was the last year. That was the end of Showtime. End of Showtime. Um, that was the end of Showtime, the middle, and then the bird. That, that whole middle, era and, uh, and was the, gone. The height of the Bad Boys, too. Height of the Bad Boys, the end of Showtime, and the beginning of the media frenzy that would be the NBA. The NBA expanded to over two hundred markets during Michael Jordan's era, during his reign. But now the league is watered down, which is why a lot of people say, "Oh, who eliminated Michael Jordan? Eliminated seven. 60-plus winning teams because the bottom of the barrel was very, very poor. Very. The league was was very poor because you had an expansion. The leagues were watered down. People were taking all the top players and spreading them around. They were running a lot of dominant teams, and the coaching was poor. People keep talking, oh, Jerry Sloan. Phil Jackson was in a league of his own at the time. And you wanted to want more evidence of that? The more evidence of that is look at this top 10 list that ESPN had. Yeah. How many of them were coached by Phil it's, Jackson? Uh, three of them, right? Three of them were coached by Phil. It's three and of them. And it's those three guys of them. Three of them by Phil. 11 titles. 11. All Phil's 11. Titles. All Phil. Yeah. None of them. None of them. Shaq is the only one to win one without Phil. But guess who he won Pat it with? Riley. Pat Riley. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Riley got, what, five titles? Right? Pat Riley has, um, does he have five? Or five. Yes. He has five because he won mm-hmm. four with Magic. 
and he won one with Miami. So it's it's just you got to look at everything. So when you look at the whole pie, I'm factoring in Kareem's dominance his whole life. I'm talking about high school winning four, college winning three, and and mind you, you say winning three because he left one year early. He won every year. Well, no, he remember he, no, he did uh, not lose. Kareem didn't play his freshman year because they wouldn't allow freshmen to play on a varsity team. Then he took that freshman team and beat the varsity team that just won an NCAA. Yes, that's yes. why he don't have yes. four. Yes. So you yes. really could give him four yes. because he still had he still yes. was the best team on campus. They just won the varsity team, right? Which 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 was a which was a dominant yep. team. So you you have Kareem always winning, coming to the league. He gives Oscar Robinson, who you have in your mm-hmm. top ten. He gave Oscar Robertson his only championship before he left Milwaukee and given the city of Milwaukee their only championship as well before he comes over to L.A. to revamp that team who was not doing yeah, well at and the it, time. They were and kind I of, put an interjection in that. Milwaukee was a second-year um, expansion team when they got Kareem and won it. And look at that. they won it. So they – like how you just talking about the expansion teams, how these expansion teams were just mm-hmm. – they, they kind of watered down the league a little bit when in the Georgia dominance – Kareem mm-hmm. went to an expansion team and brought them a championship within two years of him being right. And mind you, he's the league's leading all-time scorer. Now that goes towards longevity, which you talked about, which you mm-hmm. brought up. That's part of it. But if you go to his true scoring, this guy was his his, his true shooting percentage was yes. off the charts. He was like, you know, this this guy was like almost sixty yes. percent. So he had the he has the one unstoppable shot in the history of basketball. You gotta understand he's top three in blocks and, and top five in rebounds yep. all the time. You gotta understand, and then he goes to the league and wins six. <laughs> Come on. The, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and then he's a Rucker Park legend. Mm-hmm. We, you're covering every facet. So when I look at that, I have to put him as number one. He's my GOAT, he's number one. Um, so with that being done, let's just take LeBron out of this. All the, I mean, he's not my top. His, LeBron's not his, my top his story five, isn't sure. finished yet. The story isn't finished either. Putting there he, when the story isn't finished yet. Right. I can mm-hmm. move him up, but right now he's not there. So when I everything I talk about, when you're talking about the 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 totality, the longevity, which is another reason why LeBron is up there. But that also, when people say Jordan is high, okay, why do you have Jordan so high? You know, and then you say Kobe is a replica. So, okay, if Jordan's one, how is Kobe yeah. not? You, you got to think about what you're saying when you're saying it, you know. And then so when you say LeBron's up there, okay, now that brings me to my number two. Who who does LeBron remind you Magic the most Johnson. of? Magic Johnson. LeBron's, the, LeBron's just the, the magic on steroids when it comes to physicality, but not of skill and will. That's the two things that knock LeBron down to me. Look, my, my, like we said, we brought up Magic Johnson earlier. He won it his rookie year, rookie finals MVP. And you know what's crazy? Who won rookie of the year, year was Larry yeah. Bird, which is which 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 buffers your point. He was on a very poor team and, and had the highest change of losing versus winning record, I think, yeah. in NBA history uh, within one year, Larry which is 30, why he won it. He his team, Larry Bird being interjected in that team, they won 31 games more than they did the previous season. That is ridiculous. You will never That's see ridiculous. that again. You know, I think LeBron is like number two when it comes to uh, that much of a swing. Michael Jordan is not even Kareem close. Is, uh, 20, it was like 29 games that Kareem went with Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah. And then LeBron. 
That was an yeah, expansion, no, team, expansion team, like yep. you said. So, but still great. great. But still great. <laughs> which is still great, you know. So that that's that. I have magic number two. You, you, you got to look at the and another thing I use to rate this is the dominance in your era, which is why they have Jordan so high. Okay, you say in the '90s, which he started playing in what '84. Mm-hmm. But you, let, let's, let, you know, six years of losing. Okay, let's just forget about that. Didn't win until Pippen got there and, and Phil was his coach. Not going to talk about that. He was dominant in his era. They said in eight years he won six titles. Okay, well, Magic played in 12 and, and was in the finals nine times winning five. In, in an era of what you've already said was the, the best era of basketball, the 80s. Magic dominated over Larry Bird. Larry Bird got three, Magic yep. got five. Okay, so we got to look at all those different things, and that's very that's that's huge to me. So if Magic got a chance to play seventeen years like LeBron, how many would he have? Would Jordan still have six? If he, if Magic had the support system, which it looked like they could have kept with Worthy and everyone else, and he did not catch HIV, HIV right now is the goat. <laughs> HIV stopped Magic from being yeah. number one, but right now I have right now I have Magic number two because I'm looking at yeah. the dominance yeah, in the also- era. And no that one was team more dominant. Magic took to the finals that lost to Chicago. Because people like uh, Jordan beat Magic head to head in the finals. Well, that team was in, once again, they were in their ninth finals in 12 years. And that team had a young Odin Campbell. Sam Perkins was, you know, not super great. Worthy was on his way out. He had a young Vlade. You had a young cast coming up with him. And I'm quite sure that. Mm-hmm. that Mark. Byron Scott was it was getting a little bit longer than two of two, but they were still around. But mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. one of the possibly the greatest GMs of all time in Jerry West. You mean to tell me Jerry West wouldn't have made a deal to get somebody to come play with Magic? You know what I'm saying? That I think Listen, Lakers wouldn't. Kraus Kraus learned yeah. from West, and Kraus is great. I think Kraus is top, number two or three best all time GM. But people I mean, don't want to give that man credit because they want to say it was all Jordan, all Jordan, all Jordan. Kraus had the vision of picking NA, well, not picking NAI player, make a draft day trade to bring in an NAIA player from Central Arkansas State and bring mm. him in. He had the foresight to say, this guy can play along with Jordan and be a good player. He had that foresight. That's amazing because I wouldn't have picked him. <laughs> I'd have been like, where? Right. So, no, I'm going to grab somebody else. But man did a good job right. and I get it. They hated him. He was he was a guy who wanted that attention. He wanted that Jerry West status, but he but it, he didn't have the Jerry West clout. Jerry West was a great player in the NBA, so his that respect with that and what he was doing as a GM just trumped anything that Cross could do. So Cross should have just stayed in the background. He would have got all the love now, as you can see how we how it is now, instead of being a demon that he, they made him out to be. <laughs> All right. So with that, now I have Michael Jordan as third because he did dominate his era when he played until Elijah, which is one of the top five centers of all time, could not win until Jordan left. But the thing is this, he didn't get to the finals. He never played Jordan one-on-one in the finals. And who knows? I always say that I think Elijah was going to win in 94 no matter what. So I always feel that way. I think, like you said, you know, Jordan was kind of worn down and his will. I look at things when we talk about the last dance, you look at his determination and we think like I grew up watching Kobe all 20 years and Kobe idolized Michael. But what he took from Michael more so than anything was his attention to detail, looking at footwork and, and how to best his player. Kobe used to look to him and ask him questions. So if you love Kobe, you cannot deny Michael. And Michael, even though it was watered down, whatever you want to yeah, say, he won. he won. 
Other people could have won. You have Carl Malone, you have John Stockton, you have Reggie Miller, mm. you have all these guys. They lost. Okay, when it when when Jordan was on his A game, when he had a team, when you gave him the supporting cast, when you gave him a, a decent yeah. coach, he won. Can't take that away from him. And if he played more years, who knows? I don't know if he could have played at that level, though. That's the, the key. He took off for a reason because his dedication was next level to the point where Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, all the top players at the time, Isaiah Thomas, are like, this guy's another level. His competitive level is, is unmatched. Maybe the only person who can match it is Bill Russell and Kareem. And that brings me to my next person. I have Bill Russell um, right there. Mm-hmm. I, I kept him at four. He's right there. He's four. He's right there because of everything he achieved on and off the court, like you stated earlier. And then I have Wilt moving up from six to five. You can't – when you look at all these records, when people start breaking records, why does his name always a name that comes up? I mean, he didn't win all – he never got all of – he didn't get a chance to maximize on his potential, mm-hmm. just like Shaq. He didn't get a chance to maximize on his potential because he was not a killer like a Bill Russell, like a Michael Jordan. If he had Michael Jordan's mentality with all his talent, stop it. If Shaq had all, if Shaq had the mentality, which this was cool, but it wasn't on Kobe status. If he had Kobe's mentality, they would have won seven, eight championships together. Period. Point blank. So I have Bill. I have um, Bill as my number five. Now um, I'm going to use that recency recency bias, but you cannot deny this man who went to eight straight finals in the Eastern Conference. Rather it be weak or not, Jordan went against the reconference. Mm-hmm. He's still in my top three. I got to have LeBron James number six. I mean, and it's tough, me being someone who is a quote-unquote Kobe <laughs> fan. You can't, deny, you can't deny this man right now. I know Kobe has more championships. You look at the totality where he ranks all-time in playoff stats is unreal. And what he did, what cemented him, like he said, he thought that he was the greatest of all times when he beat – the, the best quote unquote mm. team, if you will, of all time, and the, and that yeah. and that Warriors team coming down three one, which has never ever been done before, and you do it against that team, you 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 it, that catapulted him all the way up to six to some people to two, but their recency bias is, is crazy. Maybe I move him in my top three when he's said and done when he wins the championship this year yeah. when the season does resume. So I have him at six, and right behind him at seven, I got Kobe, right there. Right there. I got Kobe right behind him. That's the person he looked up to. And that's the person who still, to me, he's still behind his shadow, really, when you're talking about goats. But I still have to put Kobe seven because of Dell Harris, how he ruined Kobe's first years. It's kind of hard to say that because if that's why his numbers are pegged down. Already an all star. Eddie Jones was an all star. Now I get it. You could have played them both. You could have put Kobe at the at two and put Eddie at the three. But I mean, Three, yeah. He also had Cedric Sabalas, who wasn't that bad either, on a, on that thing. So I, I he think was that bad. Dale Harris, he like you, like we we'll talk about it. Probably talk about it later. Coaching is big, and Dale Dale Harris was coaching is big, and Dale Harris felt him no because they said his rookie year. Even Mike was deeming him yeah. like that boy in L.A. That boy in L.A. Mike already Mike. You can at the eye test you see no that dude's different. Jerry West. That's why they got rid of Dale Harris. Jerry West is like, dude, what are you doing? When when um he set him up to fail, who shot the air balls when the rookie year against that the Jazz was, uh, they got Kobe. swept? Kobe. But guess what? He didn't start those games. He put them in. He didn't start them all year. I think he played that man mm-hmm. eleven to twelve minutes a game. That's what he averaged. But then you put him in a clutch moment, say hit the shot, rookie. 
You set them up to fail. You didn't set them up to win because if you did, you would have been playing them the whole series. But you playing gave, them a whole gave season. Really meaningful, but you didn't as as you as you went along because you already knew that the guy. I mean, if you trade an all star and Vlade Divac was an all star center, you trade him to get this high school kid. There must be a big deal. So you got to play him. Mm-hmm. But then also the GM probably should have interjected and said, "Hey, like put the kid." He West should have interjected, but West was always the one who didn't like to do that that much, which. That comes up with Kerr later in Golden State. Oh, I'm sorry, with Mark yeah. Jackson later in Golden State. But yeah, but 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 Wes, as you can see, didn't intervene too much. They just ended up firing him after a few years because he obviously wasn't getting the job done. But they even said it. Kobe's rookie year, he was busting um, mm-hmm. Eddie Jones's you know what. But they wouldn't do it because back then they didn't believe in playing rookies, even though Jordan yeah. started right off the bat because he was busting people's you know what. Even Dean Smith had the foresight to see James Worthy said. Dude, I was the best player on the team for like two weeks. Because <laughs> Jordan came in and busted as you know what, but Dell Harris is not a winner. He's not. And it's because of coaching. That's why I give Phil Jackson so much credit because he didn't look at that. He's He looked at everything else and he put people in a position yeah. to win. He says, put the, take the ball out of Michael's hand, let's put it in Pippen's hand, and guess what? We got six championships, two three-peats. But I got Kobe as my number seven. My number eight, this is where it gets a little tricky for me. You know, it gets a little tricky because they, you know, but it got to mm-hmm. be Larry Bird right there. I got Larry Bird as my number eight. Move him down from seven to eight. Larry Bird's right there. I'm, I'm not having much change from this list. And then I'm just going to roll right through it because we already know Larry Bird is Larry Bird. I I can't put, in my mind, can't put Tim Duncan above Shaq because mm-hmm. we're talking about dominance once again. But in the NBA Finals, I don't know. It's tough. He was tough when he had Kobe on his tail and beating whoever, but um, I don't know. Kobe carried him through the West. Shaq had problems with with bigs in the West before when he got swept uh-huh. in the finals versus Akeem. And I don't know, man. It's just too much stuff. I don't feel like – I feel like Shaq is as dominant as he was. He needed someone, a killer like Kobe. Just like LeBron, he needed a killer like like uh, like D-Wade. He needed a killer LeBron just like – Actually, let's, let's not forget about Ray Allen. His first years in Cleveland, he didn't have no teammates. He had nobody. He had nobody, yeah. He had nobody. That's why I bring him up so hard. He took a nothing team in Cleveland mm-hmm. to the finals, man. I mean, you, you can't – you can't. He got swept, but come on. He went against Hall of Famers. So that's why LeBron has to be over Kobe. But I, 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 it's hard for me to put Tim Duncan, but he is the best power forward of all time. So I oh, no. have to put him above Shaq because Shaq, Shaq's not even he, – he, well, I, people could say Karl Malone. I say talent-wise mm-hmm. is Charles Barkley. But it's just – Carl Malone and Charles Barkley not making this list because guess what? They didn't win. And Tim Duncan got five. Yes, Popovich has a lot to do with it. I, like I coaching said, coaching is huge. Having good teammates. Tony Parker, but Manu. And having good David teammates Robinson. is huge. David Robinson. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he has some good teammates. Um, what's the other guy um, I used to love Sean with Elliott. that team? Um, Sean Elliott. Mm-hmm. You know, he had he had some good teammates. Man. Yeah, Manu. Um, Mar- you said Manu, Mario, right? You said Manu. on that first team. Yeah, man. That won it. Yeah, I loved Ellie. And don't forget who won the last finals MVP with, yep. with, with him, and that was Kawhi, who was moving. Yeah, Kawhi. So he's had a collective group of people who just mm-hmm. – I mean, did you say Tony Parker? I mean, I mean, come on, man. So, But still, in, in the end, he amassed the stats. Um, when you look at it, the great fundamental did things that is just, like, mind-boggling. I, I still feel – um, that Carl should get more recognition if you'd at least yeah, won me, one. Winning championships, you know, but is, it's not about the individual. You just didn't have the team, man. And 
Sometimes he just don't have a team. I mean, Dominique Wilkins, man, we can always think about if Dominique got one or two, how high he. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, with stuff like that, because of team and whomever like that, I, I wanted to put John Stockton because Magic Johnson is literally the only true point guard on here, even though he can play all positions. If you really think about it, there really is. isn't a point guard on here. LeBron could play point. Magic could play point. Magic did play point. But like you said, LeBron could play probably all five positions and so could Magic. So we don't have Isaiah or John Stockton or or even you have Oscar Robinson. But me, on, on their list and on my list, I want to put John Stockton, but do I feel like John Stockton belongs on there before Shaq? No. Do I feel like Carmelo belongs in there before Tim Duncan? No. So with that, um, the, my number 10 is still Shaquille O'Neal. So very little shuffling, just a little bit moving in the top five and a little bit moving in the bottom five. But at the end of the day, I, I, I'm pretty consistent overall with everyone they selected in their top 10. So um, with, with that, let's wrap up pretty quick. We're a little bit over time. That's cool. You brought a lot of energy and um, mm. good information, great information, even correcting me. I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> been corrected on this show like ever. So that's that's awesome. That's pretty good. But um, the last dance, I mean, we just saw the end of it now, um, one through 10. We finished up. Um, this past weekend, what did you think overall? Give me just give me just overall your overall perspective. Overall, from, from top, top to bottom, bottom. Um, it's well put together. Um, uh, I always got questions. Why? Why now? Why would you do it now? Um, bring this ten part series out. I really don't think it deserved ten ten parts. You know, because I mean, really, it's told through the eyes of one man. You got other people that are being interviewed, and he has all the controls over it. So, I mean, I would have loved to hear from Carl Malone. You know, Carl Malone obviously didn't want to talk about it. But, I mean, I think it was well put together. It's very historical to see all these things that's happening. I think a lot of things are taken out of context um, in parts to make him look a little bit better um, as, a, as a person and as, in the, as in his, his status in the NBA. I mean, he don't have to worry about his status in the NBA. They have a, people who wasn't even alive when he played say he the greatest. So he, his, his legacy is going to always live forever. But I think it's good. I don't think it's better than – um, the ESPN docuseries that came out some years ago, Lakers-Celtics. I think that one's a little bit more enjoyable, but if there's one that's after it, it would be this one. It would be this one. Okay. Okay. All right, cool, man. Uh, whew, man, looks like that's it for today. Um, do you have anything, before I let you go, is there anything that you want to plug? Um, any, any handles where people um, can well, actually reach you? I'm um, in the process of putting together um, my three first three episodes of my Sucker Punch podcast. It's be called Jimmy Max Sucker, Pod, uh, Sucker Punch podcast, and it'll be on Anchor as well. Um, but it'll be more so. It'll be more kind of more like your show. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk culture and society and a lot of things like that. So be looking for that coming out soon. I've already done the first two episodes, and I'm going to put the third one. Um, together probably sometime this week and then have those three things out so people can kind of hear it so that's um, all and if you are on Facebook 1585 show with uh, you know our guy Anthony Cobbs um, and um, he's a very good brother mm -hmm. and then one thing I do love about social media I get to meet very good brothers nowadays so without you know where I probably wouldn't have met him before and come to find out that me and you have a lot of people that we know in common. So these are the type of things that I, I love about all of this stuff. So I'm kind of glad there is a social media. So that's all I got to say. Well, that's good. Somebody actually saying using social media for positive things rather than negative <laughs> things. Who would have thought? <laughs> right, right. Well, man, I appreciate um, you being be on, on here, today. It, it's been great. Um, Anytime.
Yes, sir. Yeah, just just add me to your favorites. I can find you easier when it's time to do another interview. But I'll see you down the line. We're going to talk probably football as that starts to approach soon. And we're going to go over some things. I want your take on some football excerpts as yeah. you – that's the sport you played. So we will definitely get into that next time I have you on. But for now, oh, you I appreciate you, brother. Have a great rest of your day. What is the status of NCAA sports right now with this pandemic? NCAA football is having um, a situation they have not occurred since World War II, 1943, where they have to suspend most of the season. Um, Timothy White, California State University System Chancellor, announced on May 12th that our our planning approach will result in CSU courses primarily being delivered virtually for the fall of 2020 term. Of the CSU system's 23 members institutions, three play at the football bowl subdivision level and are members of the Mountain West Conference, which is Fresno State, San Diego State, and San Jose State. During a Mountain West Network interview back in April, Conference Commissioner Craig Thompson said, unless campuses are operating in full mode with dormitories and housing and all other facilities open, we will not have college athletics. What does this mean for, that's the biggest revenue that the universities get, and that's how a lot of people get their scholarships. So with that looming, I wonder how college sports in general will resume. As of right now, it appears that COVID-19 is actually healing the world. Um, studies have shown, and there's reports showing that in areas of Italy, where the waters are clearer, you have animals that have surfaced that have not been seen there in tens of almost hundreds of years, which is alarming, which is great, actually. And then the CO2 gases around the world are down at record lows, um, giving us clearer skies, which can see through outer space with NASA. That's huge. So NO2 levels of uh, noting levels lower than 2008, which was during the recession, because there were less people um, moving about, less traffic, less humans moving. So it kind of looks like with humans not being as active, moving around, transporting goods and factories being open, that the world is actually healing itself. Um, you have animals out that you did not see before. Um, things seem to be a little greener. It's pretty interesting. So I don't know. Um, we might have to look into doing something like this at least once a year for a week, which for paid leave for everyone in the world, so we can take time to heal the world. Another thing that's alarming because of this new pandemic that legal cannabis, legal marijuana has taken a huge bump in some areas of the United States up to 142% over the month prior before this whole pandemic has began. So that's pretty interesting to see that in times like this, in times of despair, people want to get high as a kite or just to forget all their problems altogether. Makes you wonder about all the guys that are in jail right now for selling weed um, before it became legalized not too long ago. Like, obviously, I don't know, they might want to consider reducing their sentences or releasing them altogether. I don't know. Do what you want. In other news, um, with this global pandemic, it seems to affect even the illegal drug trades. Illegal drug trades are down worldwide. Um, in the beginning of April, me members of the Gulf Cartel reportedly handed out boxes of food to residents in poor neighborhoods in Matamoros and Curudad, Victoria of Tampulapis State. 
Other cartels have made similar gestures. The Jalisco Cartel New Generation, also known as CJNG, distributed boxes of pantry items around the state of San Luis Potosi. The boxes were labeled with a sign that read, on behalf of your friends from the CJNG, COVID-19 contingency support. The Zetas did the same in Casa Colocos, Veracruz. In the city of Guadalajara, the eldest daughter of former Sinaloa cartel kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, Alejandrina Giselle handed out provisions to elderly residents. The boxes were stamped with her father's name and image. So it seems like with this whole new pandemic that even now the cartels want to keep their allegiances and show their uh, gratitude or whatever. But at the end of the day, it seems like even the human race has not lost their their touch in regards to everything. And in other news, Lil Boosie, who come back into the media spotlight for um, countering, if you will, or criticizing the parenting skills of one Dwayne Wade. Um, he's made headlines some months ago when Dwayne Wade's um, daughter, um, Zaya, not that she was doing a sex change, but that she identified with being not no longer Zion, but now Zaya. And Lou Boosie went on a tirade on Instagram. But now recently, reports have come out that Lou Boosie paid women of the night to perform fellatio on his young nephew and son, who are the ages of 12 and 13. Now, this is serious. You have someone this you have someone who's pretty much that that's that's rape and you're paying for it. I mean, this this is I mean, I, I don't know really what to say about this. I never really agreed with his stature on telling other people how to raise their children. But then this right here is a new low and he might want to be very careful because this could be used as evidence against him. So he might want to um, make sure that everything on his end is. I guess in order, tough, tough situation. Well, that's been your weekly news. We do not own the rights to this music.
retribution. Hope you don't ever see your son in the institution. I know karma is constant and God ain't no nonsense. You doing wrong just to run shit. One day the time gonna run out for the dumb shit. Ain't no deception trying to get in heaven. You getting there, bet it's on your marriage. And you know what you did for who, how much you really care. And what you really felt. He gonna deny the opportunity to unify with people who look similar to you and I. Cause he don't wanna help him. That was T.I.'s Black Man featuring Quavo and Meek Mill. Um, I felt like that part of the song was fitting for what we're going to talk about next. Um, in continuance of last week, talked about Brother Aubrey down in Georgia, but it started up some controversy between two famous comedians, Ari Spears and Mike Epps. Take a listen everyone I want to speak upon um, the young man that got killed in my hometown in Indianapolis these cops gotta they gotta be punished you can't put them on desk duty you can't suspend them they gotta feel the wrath I mean you know you you just out here killing young black men for nothing I mean you know it, it, it it's sad that they're hiring cops that are not uh, culturally connected to the culture they scared of black people. They they young, they skinny, they weenie. They ain't never been around a black person in their life. And then you chase them down and you kill them. You overkilling them. You shooting them a hundred times. And young black men, we got to stop giving them an opportunity to kill us. We got to stop giving them an opportunity to kill us. They killing us because they watching us kill us. That was the comedian... Mike Epps, let's hear from the comedian Ari Spears' reaction. Yo, what up, it's your boy Ari Spears here. Yo, check this out. <clears throat> I recently saw a post where Mike Epps was basically uh, talking about how all these cops is killing black folks and how we need to do something about it and how we need to be better. And then towards the end of his clip, he said, we have to stop giving cops a reason to kill us. We have to stop killing us so they could stop killing us. And D.L. Hewley reposted it. First off, I love me some D.L. Hewley and I respect the shit out of Mike Epps. These are two very talented brothers. But what would surprise me about D.L. reposting this, given his high level of intelligence, uh, and I get what he's trying to do. You know, he's trying to show one of our brothers in, in comedy some love and support on a very heavy subject. But we gotta do better than that. Uh, because to somehow suggest that cops killing us is because we're killing us is the most reckless, irresponsible, dangerous, asinine fucking statement you can make on a Charles Barkley level. What the fuck do black people killing each other have to do with cops killing black people? Well, all right. So that's that. You heard both sides of the argument. You can hear how this all began. Chose to talk about this because last week I brought up the, the slaying of uh, Brother Aubrey and I got some backlash as well for um, my stance, if you will. 
because I chose to highlight the killing amongst ourselves. And I believe I understood what Mike Epps and then later retweet or repost by Dio Hoogley was talking about. And when you have other people in the same elk, they quote unquote brothers arguing over the slain of ourselves, we can't even seem to get on the same page in how we can react or retort or, or about a situation that affects us all. I understand what he's talking about. In no shape or form is anyone in our community saying that it is okay to go out and kill one of us. Just recently out here in California, in Gardena, California, Sergeant Robbins killed Kenneth Ross Jr. Shot him down like a dog in the street with an assault rifle. He was unarmed. He was running with his left hands on his side to hold up his pants running from the police. And he shot him down. They even bragged about it. He tried to get the other cops to turn off their, their, their cams as they searched the body. But one of the cops from another district kept his camera on, which caught everything on tape. Shot it down like a dog. <clears throat> but what is what are we really saying here? What's the collective angle? Yes, should we try to get some form of equality in this country, which we've been trying to do since we entered this terra firma, this land for so long. But you cannot clean or take care of outside of insides not taken care of. Like I said last week, who kills us more? Us or them? In this war, in this battle, you cannot fight both sides of a war. We must come together collectively and clean up our house first before we wage war on blue. And I don't, that's not me saying go out there and take out blue. And that's not what I'm saying. Because there are good cops out there. But when it is time to align, what are you really prepared to do? Why is George Zimmerman still around? I'm not saying do something to him, but I understand. We do a lot of talking and pumping our chest out, but what are we really prepared to do when it's time to act? Because I can see that people are getting frustrated. I can see it. I can feel it. But it's something, how do you expect for them to feel amongst us to have that fear? Because we're not policing ourselves. I noticed that, but they have that fear. I was pulled over just the other week and the cops' hands were shaking. They already had their hands on their guns because they couldn't see through my tent roll down the window, already assuming that I had contraband, that I had guns, just because I was a black man. What the media perpetrates, okay. But is there any, is there any facts to base that on? Think about that. Sometimes I'm in a different area where I'm wearing the wrong colors and I'm worried, terrified for my life amongst my peers, amongst my people. I'm terrified that you never know. I'm gonna get jacked, I'm gonna cap because I'm com confused or they thought I was someone else. The cops do the same thing, but we only talk about it when they do it. We never talk about it when we do it. We kill each other at a disproportionate rate, period. 
Who killed Biggie? Who killed Pot? Who killed Nip? We did. We kill each other every single day in this nation. But we only want to publicize and talk about it when it's them killing us. Is it wrong? Hell yes. But what fight are you going to fight first? Why do we stand so mute when it's happening in our own communities? Only locally do we want to do anything about it, but nationally we want to take care of the other situations when it comes to blue. Or even when it comes to the other people who want to do citizen's arrest like the Zimmermans of the world or the McMichaels of the world. They like, oh, they're just savages. They're going to kill each other anyway. Oh, he's a criminal. They already labeled us. What if we unionize and get together? What if the gangs actually support the neighborhoods like they used to? So where the police won't even feel the right to come in our hood and try to take one of us out without us batting an eye. I see a lot of people acting Twitter tough and talking all this big game on the internet, but y'all not pre prepared to unionize and confront the attackers. You guys don't have the balls to stop killing each other or killing innocent people in your own neighborhoods. So what do you expect them to do? That's what I think what people are talking about. That's what I think Dale Hoogley was hinting on in Mike Epps. Let them see that we are a respected race. That we will not tolerate this anymore. We will stop killing each other and we will defend each other by any means necessary. I'm the last person to come to when you're talking about things like that. It's the reason why I have limo tent. I'm afraid of my own. I'm afraid of, of the buck that I roughed up way back, coming back after all these years. Right at tap, 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 tap. That's the way it is. Rest in peace, Tupac. Listen, man. We got to take care of home before we take care of outside. The time is now. We got to collectively get together. We got to get some political powers, start things at the councilman level to make sure our areas of police by people who look like us, make sure they have adequate training for the police so they're not out here using us as target practice. But it starts with us taking back our communities. And until we do that, there will be no change. Time for change. Change is now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it for this week, guys. Thank you for listening. I want to give a special shout out to J-Mac. Thank you for visiting us today, joining us today. Um, we have one final word. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James 1, 19. Thank you all for tuning in. Please hit subscribe. See you all next week. God bless.